Let's have our joke now. Ronnie's going to come up. Hello, I'm Ronnie. I'm an alcoholic. Hi, Ronnie. Uh, a cowboy rode into town and stopped at a saloon for a drink. Unfortunately, the locals always, always had a habit of picking on strangers, which he was. When he finished his drink, he found his horse had been stolen. He went back to the bar, handily flipped his gun into the air, caught it above his head without even looking, and fired a shot into the ceiling. Which one of you sidewinders stole my horse? He yelled with surprising forcefulness. No one answered. All right, I'm going to have another beer, and if my horse ain't back outside by the time I finish, I'm going to do what I've done in Texas, and I don't want to have to do what I've done in Texas. Some of the locals shifted restlessly. <laughs> the man, true to his word, had another beer walked outside, and his horse had been returned to the post. He saddled up and started to ride out of town. The bartender wandered out of the bar and asked, Say, partner, before you go, what happened in Texas? The cowboy turned back and said, I had to walk home. <laughs> Thank you, Ronnie. Um, I'm a recovered alcoholic, and my name is Megan. <laughs> Thanks for joining us tonight. In a minute... Uh, we're going to start our two-minute uh, meditation. So please take a moment to get situated. Please turn off all devices that um, uh, make noise and might or will distract others. Take this time to get connected to God. Let the craziness of the day drift away and ask God to help you stay focused on the step study tonight. Is everybody ready? Yeah. If so, let's start the meditation. Oh, 
Okay, we're now going to say the fog light prayer. If anybody doesn't know it, it's um, on the screens to the left and right of me. God. There is a solution from the big book, page 17. Uh, the tremendous fact for every one of us is that uh, we have discovered a common solution. Uh, we have a way out on which we can absolutely agree and upon which we can join in brotherly and harmonious action. This is the great news this book carries to, all, to those who suffer from alcoholism. I've asked Alex to read Appendix 2, Spiritual Experience. We read this because the main purpose of the 12 steps is to have one. So it's kind of important to know what uh, one is. Alex, recovered alcoholic. Alex. Spiritual experience. The terms spiritual experience and spiritual awakening are used many times in this book, which upon careful reading shows that the personality change sufficient to bring about recovery from alcoholism has manifested itself among us in many different forms. Yet it is true that our first printing gave many readers the impression that these personality changes or religious experiences must be in the nature of sudden and spectacular upheavals. Happily for everyone, this conclusion is erroneous. In the first few chapters, a number of sudden revolutionary changes are described, though it was not our intention to create such an impression. Many alcoholics have nevertheless concluded that in order to recover, they must acquire an immediate and overwhelming God consciousness, followed at once by a vast change in feeling and outlook. Among our rapidly growing membership of thousands of alcoholics, such transformations, though frequent, are by no means the rule. Most of our experiences are what the psychologist William James calls the educational variety because they develop slowly over a period of time. Quite often, friends of the newcomer are aware of, this, of the difference long before he is himself. He finally realizes that he has undergone a profound alteration in his reaction to life that such a change could hardly have been brought about by himself alone. What often takes place in a few months could have seldom have been accomplished by years of self-discipline. With few exceptions, our members find that they have tapped an unsuspected inner resource which they presently identify with their own conception of a power greater than themselves. Most of us think this awareness of a power greater than ourselves is the essence of a spiritual experience. Our more religious members call it a God consciousness. Most emphatically, we wish to say that any alcoholic capable of honestly facing his problems in the light of our experience can recover, provided he does not close his mind to all spiritual concepts. He can only be defeated by an attitude of intolerance or belligerent denial. We find that no one need have difficulty with the spirituality of the program. Willingness, honesty, and open-mindedness are the essentials of recovery, but these are indispensable. There is a principle which is a bar against all information, which is proof against all arguments, and which cannot fail to keep a man in everlasting ignorance. That pr principle is prior, contempt prior to investigation, Herbert Spencer, Alcoholics Anonymous, page... Five, seven, 67 and 68. 
Please refrain from disturbing others by talking or constantly getting up and sitting back down. This is a tech-free meeting, so set your phones, phones to airplane or meeting mode or just turn them off. Um, this is our first week with Doc here. Um, we're very excited to hear what he has to say, so come on up, Doc. Thank you so much, Doc Alcoholic. And I am so happy to be here. I really am happy to see new friends, old friends, and happy to be able to learn a little more. I never learned so much as when I do a big book study. Like We're doing one right now at Fourth Dimension on Monday nights, in case you want to go to those at 8.30. Or, or steps here. Or I've done the, I was forced into doing the concepts. I learned so much doing that. I know more about democracy than I ever thought I wanted to know because of the concepts. And I've said before, I used to just use the concepts as a weapon at business meetings because nobody knows what the concepts are. So if anybody said something I didn't like, I'd go, excuse me, that's against concept nine. And they go, whoa, well, shoot, Doc must know all about the concepts, so we'll just drop that part. Go, yeah, great. They have no idea what it is, so it's good. It's good. So step one, first of all, I love this place. This is just, it, it, it brings me joy. I love this place. I love the way the, the format is. It's just a very joyful format, you know, where we start with a joke. By the way, that was partially my story, that joke. I, 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 yeah, I did a lot of drinking in Texas. I was just, I was just saying over there to uh, Steve that I, I drank so much, and, and Vinny, I drank so much Jägermeister one night on St. Mary Street in uh, San Antonio that I, I wandered out of the bar and I went over and threw up in the corner and then I came over and put my arm around the cop that was watching everything and I said, you know, Dave, I, I usually hate pigs, but I really like you. In fact, why don't you come in and drink some Jägermeister with me? He goes, no, no, I got to watch this. So don't make me do what I did in Texas. So I, 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 you know, I find myself here. I don't know why I'm here. Uh, if I use logic, there's no reason, not, one, I should be sober. Two, there's no reason I should be in this secret club. Uh, three, there's certainly no reason why I should be uh, sharing my understanding of steps or traditions or the big book or anything else. Um, through logic, I, there's just nothing here that I should be doing. But uh, I can't really logically understand God's will. You know, I, uh, I used to drive, when I, I had this, I've spoken of a car that I found once, and I didn't really steal it, I just, it was a Riviera, and it had Mississippi plates from like 1968 or something, and, and, and so I drove it all over the country, right, and, and in those days I was very lucky, I'd, I'd, I had a cop pull me over outside of Las Vegas once, and well, I, I actually didn't pull me over, I was already stopped, because I was... Uh, drinking this big half-gallon uh, jar of orange juice and vodka and smoking a big joint. And uh, he came over. Now, if he'd have looked at my license plate, I'd have gone to jail right then, right? If he'd asked for my driver's license, I'd have gone to jail because I didn't have a driver's license. I never had a driver's license. I, I, I'm in trouble now for stuff I never did. <laughs> like, like, I just never paid taxes, so I'm in trouble for that right now. Um, but, you know, and then he, he, he had the silver glasses, and he knocked on the window, and I rolled it down, all the smoke barreled out, and he says, are you okay? And I said, yeah, I'm just, 
you know, it's about six in the morning. I'm just getting myself ready to head out to the desert. I said, I am never coming back to Las Vegas. He goes, good, bye. (laughs) And I left, you know, that happened to me all the time. So I don't know why I'm here. I shouldn't be here, except that God told me on the, the, the very first day I got sober, um, I was, I was angry. And, and now I recognize it was God talking to me. At the time, I thought it was just my insane brain, right, mumbling. And uh, I didn't really want to come in here, but he says, you're, you're gonna, I'm going to remove this from you right now, and you will help thousands of people. And that's what proved I, I knew it was insanity at that point. Because I wasn't, I wasn't mad about it. I, where did helping people come into this? I just wanted my girlfriend back. I, I had dropped her off at an AA meeting 30 days earlier because she was a drunk. And then 30 days later, she moved out because the cult leader, I'm sorry, her sponsor, <laughs> said that, that this cult didn't allow her to live with me. And I said, yeah, but she's the one with the problem. I'm fine. No, you have to quit drinking beer and smoking marijuana. Go, yeah, but that in itself proves that I've quit. Because I'm not doing, and I'm not drinking real liquor, and I'm not doing any real drugs, so I'm good. He said, okay, well then stop, and, uh, and you can call her. <laughs> I couldn't stop, right? I couldn't get the pebble out of my shoe. I could, I, I, you know, you don't trip on a mountain. You trip on a, on a rock in front of you, right? And there's the little things. I quit all the big things. I was in the mu- music industry. You know, I mean, we used to look forward to coming to Miami because it had pink cocaine, right? And it was cheap. And then we drank Chevis like it was water. I would not get at a control panel unless there was a trash can filled with ice and Heineken. It's like, I'm not getting, I I need my tools. And that's one of them. So when I quit all that, I thought I was fine. And then I just couldn't stop. I couldn't get to zero. 99% which is a failure, right? You try to launch, you know, what is it, SpaceX now, right? So awesome. They launch rockets, and then they turn around and come back and land themselves. It's it's like we're in the future, man, (laughs) right? But if it got 99% launched, that's a failure, right? If you get on an airplane and they go, well, we're 99% into the air. Go, well, then we're not in the air, I was 99% sober. I just couldn't get any way. I tried everything, right? I wasn't even going to tell my story, but I, I think I probably should. And so uh, I, was, I was studying because I, I was trying to get a degree in, in, in theology or divinity or freaking anything. I got a bachelor's eventually in, in medieval metaphysics. That is not a lot of positions open. For guys with medieval, medieval, most people don't even know when medieval was, so it doesn't, the hell is that? It's a brown paper on my wall is what it is. <laughs> it makes me so proud. But I was, I was, I was, I was studying about St. Paul, and, and, and it says, you know, in, in Philippians, uh, I think it's 4.4, 4, it says, uh, rejoice in the Lord again, I say rejoice. And then later, you know, throughout it, it's, you know, like in, 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 in uh, James, count it all joy. You know, and I'm looking, at, God can't mean that. 
that I can't stop smoking weed. All of a sudden, I was mad at my best friend, right? Marijuana and beer. They'd been with me since I was, you know, in elementary school. Both of them, continually. They were my absolute best friends. And I was mad at them, right? And that's when I heard this voice in my head that said, if you will ask me to remove it, I will remove it, and you will help thousands of people. Just rejoice. And so angrily, I got on my knees, and I went, okay, I rejoice. I'm so happy. I mean, I was really sarcastic and angry. Like, uh, like I was going to prove my own head wrong, right? The insanity, the voice in my head. So I got down to prove it wrong. And I, weirdly, I've not had a drink or a drug since that moment, right? Ever again. I went to a meeting the next day. I got a sponsor the third day because it's a guy I used to get high with. that had three years sober, and I saw him at the meeting. I had met him previously at a car wash. And I said, look, I want to get my girlfriend back. You do that 12-step thing. Tell me what the 12-step is. I don't need all the rest of the crap. I just want to know the trick, the gaff, the gimmick. You know, how do you do it? What's the, what's the con? What's t- step 12? Because it doesn't work that way. He says, I, I, I got to take you to meetings and stuff. That's how it works. And so I said, okay, if you're not going to tell me, then I'll go to a meeting and then I'll, I'll find out. Well, he was giving me the 12th step because he lived three blocks away. So he picked me up and took me to a meeting every day for 90 days. Somewhere around the 80th day, he says, I'm out of town. I can't pick you up, but you better get to a meeting. And then I couldn't find a meeting. Right? And I drove to the church, and it was all dark. I'd never been there before, and I drove around and around, and there was nobody there. And I thought, well, I can go home now, right? And then that stupid voice in my head goes, yeah, Joel will kill you. So I went and found a meeting, right? And so here I am. But when I got there, I looked at that first step and I go, okay, I understand that 100%. So I will share with you how easy it is to understand step one. It's wonderful. I looked up there and I said, oh, I get it. That's me. We, and by the way, we, I'm so glad you read it. You read what I was going to say on page 17. That, you know, there is the gospel of Alcoholics Anonymous. Oh, God, he's not going to go there, is he? Yeah, yeah, well. Gospel just means good news, right? And then you read it. It says, uh, this is the great news, right, that we have to share. So if you read from there backwards, it says, what's the great news? That we all have, we have a common solution. If this were psychological, we'd have as many solutions as there are people seated in seats right now. It's not. It's a soul thing. That's why one solution fits all human beings. It's an amazing thing. That sentence alone should bring joy to people. But I looked up there and I said, we. Okay, that's all of them. <laughs> but I can, I can relate. I admitted, uh, we admitted, we were powerless over our lives and that alcohol had become unmanageable. I believe that exactly. I am powerless all over all the things that people do to me in my life. All the things that come to me in my life. I'm powerless over that. Okay, I get it. This is a, this is a program on acceptance. I'll just learn to accept, accept that I'm powerless over my life. And, of course, the alcohol has become unmanageable. Uh, and it took me a while to see I was reading it wrong. <laughs> 
right? Because that, that made perfect sense to me. But then when my sponsor goes, that's not what it says. It says you're powerless over alcohol. It goes, no, that can't be. Alcohol isn't even a, a thing, right? It's just alcohol. It's not a sentient being. How can I be powerless over... I mean, you know, radiation. Okay, I can be powerless over radiation, but not, not alcohol. Alcohol is my choice, you know? And my sponsor goes, no, no, you lost the power of choice. Check out the big book. It took me a long time to open the big book, by the way. I wasn't born reading the big book. New Year's Eve, I was giving people grief going, yeah, really? Do you know what page uh, Alcoholics and God is from? Huh? Do you? They go, just shut up. Okay, okay. By the way, do you? (laughs) Excuse me. He says, he said, you lost the power of choice in alcohol. And he said, your life isn't mismanaged. It's broken beyond repair. It's unmanageable. Well, wait a minute. That means if I'm broken beyond re- wait a minute. This is too esoteric for me. Existentialistic, right? I, I, my life is broken. He goes, yeah, read the part about being a denizen of king alcohol in his mad reign. Wait a minute, now I'm starting to get it. Now I remember like things like, you know, a mattress on the ground, and that was the only uh, furniture I had in the apartment. And one set of sheets. And, oh yeah, I had a lamp with no shade, right? And you drank there, and you passed out there. Then you threw up in the toilet. And, you know, that reminds me of that lovely, refreshingly cool feeling of white porcelain against your cheek. (laughs) You know, remember that when you would like heave and heave and heave till there was nothing in there. And, oh, my God, it felt like, you know, it felt like my, my, my knees were coming up through my body. And then just collapse in a hump. And lean over and your cheek fall against that smooth, cool, (laughs) white porcelain. Oh, God. That was joy. It was joy. And then all the straight girlfriends were like, are you okay? I'm fine. I'll be good. I'll be good. Just had one too many. Yeah, you know, you know what that says, by the way. I've had people, and I love pointing this out. Over the years, I hear people say things, and especially online. It's amazing how much people do not know online. And they don't know it at the top of their voice. <laughs> you know, it is amazing. I like, like and it, you know, it'll go, this is what this is, and this is what this means. And it'll say, Charlie Z, uh, one year. Oh, geez. And when you get up to three, it's worse right? And one of the things they say is what that hyphen means, right? You know that hyphen, what that means is, and then they have all sorts of meanings to the hyphen. Geez, do you want to get sober or not? Criminy. You know, the question that, that, that Dr. Silkworth said that Bill went around uh, Charlestown Hospital, right? And he went around, he asked the, the the uh, drug addicts who were, who were morphine and, and uh, uh, opium addicts, by the way. 
and alcoholics, and, and he talked to them, and he said, this is the one question. Do you want to get sober forever? Nobody asked me that question when I got here. Thank God nobody asked me that question. Because I didn't. I just wanted two things. One, to be sober enough to get my girlfriend back. And two, to be sober long enough that when I got drunk again, it would be fun. <laughs> right? Because it used to be fun. I just want to be able to turn it off. And then live a normal life. And then on the weekends or on, on holidays, turn it on. And I thought that's what I was going to learn. You know, thank God nobody told me. I didn't know you could relapse and come back either. Nobody told me that. I just thought if you relapsed, you, you couldn't come back. <laughs> that was it. And I thought, oh man, these, I have more friends here than I've ever had in my life. Because I was one of those, you know, in my world in school, right, in public schools, not in college, but it, well, sort of in college, but in public schools, you know, you were divided by where you hung out, right? There were the jocks, and then there were the, the nerds, right? The goths weren't invented yet. And then, <laughs> then there were the heads, and we hung out at the wall, right? There was a wall where all the heads stood, and like, there weren't a lot of heads, so I had more fun, more friends in, in, in the program than anywhere else. I didn't know that, that, I, that I could relapse and come back. Thank God I didn't know that. You know, I know of at least three places in the book where it says, if you don't think you're an alcoholic, we encourage you to go drink. But I hear old timers say things like, really? <laughs> you, you don't want to stop forever? Maybe you should go drink. Here's 20 bucks. Because that's not what the book says. Right, the book says, if you're not sure you're an alcoholic, I was pretty sure I was a mess. I, 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 I just didn't know what to label it. Because alcoholics in my world were Foster Brooks, and, and only the old people know who that was. Right? A guy with a white beard and, and you know, and his crumpled jacket and that's how d d drunks were, you know? He had to be like 60. Oh, crap. <laughs> 60, how'd that get here? Right? You had to be an old man and all like white, bearded, and in and, 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 and a crumpled old overcoat. And I thought, that's not me. And a drug addict was tweaking and breaking into the bathroom windows, Right? You know, come on, let's go, let's go. You know, I had friends like that. But I'm not, a, I'm not a drug addict. God. You know, but I came in here and that stuff started making sense to me. And I started realizing, yeah, I basically tried everything I had to stop and I couldn't stop. I was powerless over alcohol. And for me, as, as I've said before, like, like uh, Chris and I were talking about, all my alcoholic behavior falls behind that word. That wasn't, that wasn't my, quote, drug of choice. I never heard that until, like, we got into the 90s, right? The drug of choice. Somebody, you know, at a, at a, at a treatment center invented that. Because I never heard it in AA. You know, what's your drink of choice? I don't know, alcohol. <laughs> right? What's your drug of choice? Whatever you got. You know? I did everything. I used to go to parties and they'd put pills in my mouth when I opened the door and I'd go, what was that? And they go, you'll find out. <laughs> Man, 
I need to know because I want more. <laughs> right? That was awesome. My life is broken. What does that, what does that, that dash mean, that hyphen mean? You know what? I, I, I did some research years ago to find out what that meant. You know what it means? It's a hyphen. <laughs> That's all it is. But there is an important word up there. And when I get people that's their first time around or they've been out. I, I, and by the way, I, I'm, I'm, I take kind of exception to the term one chip wonder. Because it, 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 it doesn't give God enough credit. You know, I'm an amazing miracle that I never relapsed because that's part of God's plan. And certainly in the back of my mind, my disease has said, you can't be a real alcoholic. You never relapsed. It must not have been that bad because you were done in one day, right? And I have to shake it off and go, no, it's a miracle because I relapsed. I heard someone else say this many, many times before I ever came in here. That's all. But I have the highest respect for people who would come back. Because I don't, I don't know that I have that sort of metal, you know, that kind of moxie to, to fall on my face and get up and come back. You know, so I, have, I, have, I do not belittle, you know, uh, people who relapse. It's, it's, it's just human nature. But there is a word. And when, when I work with people who, like I say, it's their first time or, or they're treating it like their first time, I ask them to make a column of those words. We admitted, we were, and then to define what they think each word means. And because I know none of you will ever ask me to be a sponsor, I'll tell you what the trick of this is. Because, yeah, you'd be foolish to ask me to be your sponsor. You have to be on your last leg to want me to be your sponsor. I would never ask me to be my sponsor. And when it gets down to that, I mean, everybody could look at we and they go, well, yeah, we... It's all of us, it's a you know, fellowship, and they get into that. And admitted, that's a very strong word. Powerless, very strong word. Were, it means that, that, that like, like I hear, I love to hear it in this meeting, recovered alcoholics, like it says at the beginning of the book, not recovering. I'm, a, I'm searching, I'm growing, that's why I'm here. I've, uh, you know, if, if God permit, I have 10,907 days today. Right, and if God permits, next month I'll have thirty years. So I'm not, I'm not here to see what I can get out of a meeting. You know, I'm here because you all teach me how to rise to another level um, on that ladder of of morality, of ethics, where I can finally get to that to that universal ethical principle that Kohlberg talks about, that sixth level where you love really love every single person regardless of what crimes they were or are committing or what jerks they are or how wonderful they are or how unwonderful they are i want that i want to be there and that's why i'm coming back here and i listen to you but the trick is when they get to the word that they don't know how to define it they go you know what it means it's that not this. i get this all the time it's not this so it's that Clever. <laughs> so what the hell? Why did they have that, our lives? Why didn't just say, dash, our lives had become unmanageable, right? It would probably be better English, right? 
better syntax. We admitted we were powerless over alcohol, dash. Our lives had become unmanageable. Makes sense. So why is that word there? I happen to believe that not only are these steps divinely inspired, but the entire book is divinely inspired, and that God was smart enough to inspire Wilson to write it, and then smart enough to show his group conscience through a group of people who could edit it. So that no atheist later could go, this is just the ramblings of a diseased mind. And a group of people who edited it. And it stayed that way since the second edition. No, the word that is actually short for Latin. Uh, Ed est, ist. Right? Id id est. I'm sorry, I said it backwards. Id est, i.e. I period, e period. You see it in books... Well, you used to, not so much these days. Id est, i.e. Id est means that is, right? That is, that is to say, so to read it in long form, it says we admitted we were powerless over alcohol. That is to say, in other words, another way of saying this, id est, another way of saying what I just said is our lives had become unmanageable. So what the word that is indicating is that both sides of that statement are the same statement. That if I accept that I am powerless over alcohol, I am in fact accepting that my life has become unmanageable. It means it's the same. I cannot be powerless over alcohol and manage my life. It's broken. They say the same thing. So what does that mean? What, this is so... I look at it, you know, I, I am so glad they put all 12 up there because if they only gave you one as you came in, like some mystery school, right? There was a group called the, the Therapeutics before the Christians, the end of the... Uh, before the common era. And, and they were looking for what we have. Right? They, they had a fellowship and they were searching to get to a higher level of spirituality. But their deal was they weren't going to share it with anyone. That's where we get the word therapeutic, of course. But they weren't going to share it with anyone. And you only got little bits of information until you grew with that information. Then you were allowed in on some higher information. Thank God they didn't do that to us. Because if that's all I had... I would have gone home and hung myself. <laughs> right? I mean, that says life is not worth living. You are broken beyond repair. And if you quit drinking, you're still going to be broken beyond repair. Crap, I didn't know I was that bad off when I got here until you told me. In fact, I didn't think I was an alcoholic for a long time. I, I swear, I caught it from you guys. And now I have it down in my DNA and I can't shake it. I've got it forever. So what does that mean? Since it's so esoteric, of course, I had to be shown something else. This book is written uh, in a Platonic form. Plato. I had a friend once, early in sobriety. Well, I say early in sobriety. Ten years sober. And uh, he says, you know, he was kind of mad at me. He goes, you know, you're, you're such a Platonian. <laughs> what the hell is a Platonian? 
right, from the planet Plato. Wait, I know what that is. He goes, no. He goes, it's those jerks that think there's nothing exists. It all exists in form. Oh, wait a minute. I think I know that. Now, these days, he's still my friend, and he's a, he's a, he's a pretty famous author. And uh, he teaches creative writing down at FIU. And he says, I'm so happy that you share all your Platonic views with everyone and that it was me that in a fit of anger threw Plato at you and you took it and ran with it for 20 more years. He goes, I'm so proud of that. Well, it's true. Plato wrote things like this. It either is or it isn't. That was Plato. For us, there's no gray. We don't get gray. Gray kills us, right? Gray is for being undecided. And we're not undecided. And this book is written that way. There's black and white. And you hear the old timers go, read the book, just the black parts. And they go, no, I beg to differ. There's a lot between the lines, man. Read the black part first. And then listen to the music between the notes, right? Right? Read between the lines. See what it really means. Don't just look at the dictionary. Look up the etymology of the words, right? Those that listen to me speak go, God, you know why? Because it's all on my computer in my pocket. I can just go, tell me what this means. And it goes, this came from the, right, 12th century. Oh, awesome. Now I know what the book means. So one of the things is Plato says, right, it either is or it isn't. The book's written that way. God is or he isn't. He's everything or nothing. What is it to be? Right? Do you want to die a spiritual death? Do you want to live? Do you want to die? I'm sorry, die an alcoholic death or live a spiritual life? Yeah. I don't want to die a spiritual life, Jesus. <laughs> or live an alcoholic life. I don't know, either way. And you know, even the way Bill W. stumbled into his meeting with Bob was the same way. He came down the stairs. He came out of the elevator. There was the front desk. He didn't have money to pay. Because in those days, you paid when you left, right? He didn't have money to pay, and his mind was going, how his business deal fell through? He's in Ohio. He's a New York City guy, man. He was out there mumbling about thousands and dreaming about millions back in the 20s, right? That was awesome. And there he is broke, looking, going, how am I going to pay my bill? And then he heard it, right? The joy and laughter. I believe they call it the gaiety. It was, there was gay laughter coming from the bar. Right? And so he goes, and he heard, I know what he heard. It was a weekend when the Hotel Mayflower was packed. If you've ever been in a hotel that's full, the bars sound fun. There's music and laughter, clinking glasses, and just this woo, 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 right? That says my name. Dunk, 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 dunk. Right? Come, 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 drink, 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 drink. Right? And it just sounds, I don't have any money, but I could write it on my room. And his mind went, boom, which is what insanity is. Oh boy, I get to say this. I didn't know this was coming. Insanity is not doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. I am so sorry to tell you, if you're repeating that nutty saying, you are sadly incorrect. It is attributed to anybody on the internet. 
Einstein did not say it. The best we can find is that two football coaches repeated it from somebody, and it doesn't make any sense. I got, I drank a lot, and I got drunk, and that's what I expected. What did he, what was he talking about? Tried to, well, I tried to stop, and I expected to stop, and then I didn't, so I tried to stop again. It doesn't make sense in any direction. Let's stick with what the definitions in the book say, right? Page 37 says it nice and clearly. It says, insanity is the inability to think straight and the lack of proportion, right? Big things seem little, little things seem big. That's insanity to us. How could it be called anything else, it says, right? I can pay my rent later, but damn, it's been 30 minutes and she hasn't texted me back. I'm going to lose my mind. If she doesn't text me, right? Little things are huge. You know, that damn Uber driver, Uber dr- I'm going to kill the next one. Because he had some weird music on that I can't stand, you know? And, oh, yes, uh, my mom has cancer. But, you know, we'll get to that. That's how we are when we're drinking. But Bill Wilson had the inability to follow his thoughts, right? He goes, how am I going to pay for my, hey, the bar's open. (laughs) That's how we think. And then we go, oh, I can't go in there. You know, I could just sit in there. Then he goes, and it's written in the book. It says, you know what? I'll just have a ginger ale. No, I'll stop at three gins. Wow. And no doubt you and I know how fast that goes. How can I pay? Bar. I'll sit in a ginger at three gins. <laughs> that's how fast it goes. Faster than I can say it. And yet that's the dying out. Oh my gosh. <laughs> that was dramatic. Die an alcoholic death or live a spiritual life. And so what he did is he went over to a board that had a list of churches, and he started putting nickels in a box to make a call, right? He went to where we all hate. Why would I do? I can't, but he had to find, he'd been sober a while. He had to find somebody who was sober. He had to talk about God to somebody. He needed God right then because this was sucking him in. Because his life was unmanageable. It wasn't alcohol sucking him in. It was alcoholism sucking him in. And it's platonic, right? He was either going to get drunk or going to start AA. But he didn't know that. That's how this book is. I had a friend. He's a great guy. And now his life is kind of balanced out. But at one point... And he follows this weird guru that has a, it is a cult. He's a nice guru. He's a nice guru. And so my friend, he's, he's been with his wife for years because he owes her so much because he got out of a horrible marriage and married this really nice woman. But then she decided she didn't like herself. And for six or seven years, she slept in the other bedroom because she was embarrassed to be with my friend, because she had this low self-loathing. So my friend runs into his high school sweetheart, 
and they start to have an affair. And, and it's across country. It's from, well, from your side, it would be Washington to California. And so this goes on for a long time. And I go, dude, you need to divorce your wife because you're not doing anything nice to her by sneaking around and marry this woman. Because this one, they're both grown people, right? And this woman's family hates him because she's still married. So I go, dude, what are you doing? How's your life? And he goes, it's all very gray. (laughs) No doubt. What'd your guru say? He said, well, he he was at a book signing. And he waited in line at the book signing and asked the guru, and he said, my guru said it was all okay. He, what? What did he say? Well, I told him, I said, Master, how will my life, what should I do? And he says, my son, it will get better. I said, dude, he didn't say it was okay. (laughs) Your life is unmanageable. He happens to be an Al-Anon anyway. (laughs) And a recovered drug addict. But he just never made it in here with us. And he's fine now. But there's no gray for us. That's why Plato has this allegory, right? You may or may not have heard about it. Allegory. I, uh, what is the difference between an allegory and a parable? I don't know. I'm not that smart. I'd have to look it up, right? Maybe I should. But his allegory was very famous. It's written in the Republic. In those days... Plato wrote, they were written like a dialogue. And this was a dialogue between his brother and Socrates. And they would argue back and forth. The Socratic method. Which, by the way, ask any Jewish rabbi and they will tell you they invented that, not Socrates. Because it's also a rabbi method of doing that. They argue you back and forth on it. Only the Jews are laughing. Picked you guys right out, didn't I? It's okay. This is Buddhist right here. Chop wood and carry water. That's Buddha right there. No, we're all inclusive, and I love that. So so there there are a number of slaves. And by the way, I got to... In this cave, and they're chained up. And I got to tell you, I got some pushback a couple years ago by somebody when I mentioned the... uh, Plato's cave allegory, and someone goes, this woman was really mad at you. <laughs> About what? She goes, that you use slaves in your allegory. First of all, they're not my slaves. <laughs> they're Plato's slaves. And secondly, it's an allegory. They don't exist. Well, you know, people get mad at what they get mad at. So don't get mad at my allegorical slaves. So there are slaves in this cave, and they've been chained up since birth. And they can only look at the back wall, which is big and smooth. But on this wall, and they can't turn from side to side. On this wall are shadows of all sorts of things. And as they grow, they start developing words for the things. They go, you know, that's a dog, and that's a tree. Oh, and that's a beautiful lady. And because that's the stuff you see on cave walls today. But they were shadows, and then they would, have, they would have contests, right, about trying to decide what shadow was what, what shadow was coming next, and they, could, they would just verbally reward each other. They had their own, own value system made up, 
all based on these shadows. But they commonly said, that shadow's a dog, and that shadow's a tree, and that shadow's a beautiful lady. And then one, for unknown reasons, one of the slaves is fired, and he's cast out of the cave. I don't know if he was a knot hole, if he was snoring too loud, if he was smelly. We don't know why he was fired. But the, the, the slave masters unchained him and forced him to leave. Now, first of all, he doesn't want to go because this is all he's ever known. But they go, you're free, just go. You're fired, get out. And he gets up and he turns around and what he sees behind him is a big fire against the back wall. And in front of that fire that casts all the light on the other wall is a, is a bridge. And on that bridge are slave masters making shadows. And his mind just explodes because he's going, oh, we thought those were real. We thought the shadows were dogs and trees and beautiful ladies. But now I see it's these guys making shadows of them. And then his mind opened up even more. He goes, wait a minute. They're not even holding up dogs and trees and beautiful ladies They're holding up cutouts. So what we believe is real, the slave is suddenly understanding, that is on that wall, everything that we think is real, our reality, is what the allegory is about, is not only fake because it's a shadow, it's a fake copy of a fake. There's not even a tree in this cave or a dog. We're a beautiful lady. And they go, get out. So now he's forced out. Which, by the way, Plato later says, that's the only way we ever learn is by a violent change in our lives. That the actual educational process happens once we have something violent changes us. And we all know what that is. That's hitting our bottom, we call it, right? No jokes about hitting your bottom. They cast him out. There's one way out. There's one hole in the rocks with steps going up. That's the only way out. They cast him out, which, by the way, is step two. They cast him out. He goes up there. He can't quite fit in the hole. He's not right size. He has to wiggle through, and he gets up, and he hates it, and he begs to come back, and they say no, and he finally gets outside, and he meets As we do when we sober up and realize that our whole world is fake, he meets with unmeasurable pain because he's been in a dark cave his whole life and now he's outside and he screams in pain and falls to his knees and cries to go back to the cave, but he can't. He's cast out. And then his eyes start to adjust and he notices there are shadows And he recognizes those. And then his mind goes, okay, well then they were real. Everything I just experienced was what was false. And now this is real. Then the shadows started changing. And his eyes adjusted some more. And he looked at some water and he saw a reflection. First of all, the water he couldn't figure out because it was like color. And then he saw his own reflection. 
And now he's in a totally different place in his head. He's, 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 he's losing his mind. He looks around, and now his eyes have adjusted enough that he sees what a real tree looks like. And the dimensions of a dog, and probably no beautiful ladies. <laughs> but now he's really crazy. He doesn't know what is real and what isn't real. And eventually, he looks to what is metaphorically God, the Son, the source of everything he's seeing. And it's not just a fire at the back wall making shadows of fake cutouts. It's this enormous light that enlightens everything he sees. And he realizes he needs to 12-step everybody down the cave. So he rushes back into the cave and fights his way down. But now it's dark and his eyes really can't see anything. So he comes in front of his friends and he bumps into the wall and he's stubbing his feet and he looks like a fool. And he says, none of this is real. This isn't even a fake. It's a fake of a fake. All of that is real. Come with me, I'll free you. And they try to kill him. Right? It's our story. And of course, he has to leave the cave and that's it. That story, that allegory for thousands of years has been applied to so many different things in our lives. It's been applied to neurology. It's been applied to uh, politics. It's been applied to sales of all things. And we easily can look at it and see those first three steps in it. Certainly we see the first one. What we thought was real is not real. That's what it says in the doctor's opinion. That after a while, we don't know the true from the false, right? This is my favorite part that led me into... I probably could say it without looking at the book. And you probably know it too. Men and women drink essentially because they like the effect produced by alcohol. Amen and amen. Nobody ever, well, I guess a few times they held me down and poured liquor in my, but that was just for fun. That was like the barber chair days, right? Used to have barber chairs in, 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 in bars. And they would tip you back and then pour a bunch of booze. I think Paul probably did that. Poured a bunch of booze down people's throats and then throw you out of the chair. You go, thanks. Men and women drink essentially because they like it. The effect produced by alcohol. The sensation is so elusive, right? I get it, it's gone. Elusive. I can't, that's why we called it catching a buzz. I couldn't quite catch that buzz, right? Chris and I were talking about that first hit, that first drink. Right, working all day, fighting the traffic home, finally unlocking the front door, heading for the kitchen, refrigerator calling, pop that open, and <gasps> nice cold beer. Everything's great in the world, right? Everything's fine. I'm grumbling all the way there until, ah, that first swallow. Same thing for, for you know, a crack smoker. It is. It's the same thing. Like I said, every, all my behavior is behind my alcoholism. Whether I'm, whether I'm smoking my alcohol, drinking my alcohol, 
placing my alcohol on a green table at, at Mikasuki, right? Rolling my alcohol out, taking a hit on my alcohol, tuning it in on my phone, on my computer, alone at night in the dark, right? Whether it's pornography, gambling, overeating, drugs, whatever, all that stuff is unmanageable to me. All of its selfishness, right? That sensation is so elusive that I chase it everywhere through every known media, right? I chase that, that, that feeling that I got from alcohol. I chase anything that might give it to me. Oxygen to donkey pee. You know? And that's no lie. Tijuana. 1977. While they admit it is injurious, they cannot after a time differentiate the shadows from the real stuff. The true from the false. Man, well, they're not just talking about physical things there. They're talking about, say, the love between two alcoholics. Sit on a bar stool. Think way back. Right? Sitting on the bar stool. And it, it, it doesn't even have to be a sexual love. It can be my drinking buddy I just met in Texas. Right? Every bar in Texas is dark, by the way. Only, only lit by those Miller signs with like the rotating globe and stuff. A little bit of neon over here. It's, it's dark. So everybody's beautiful. And the guy next to me, after a while, I'm like, dude, I love you. And Doc, I love you. There is no love greater than that between two alcoholics. I can't tell you any of their names. I do remember <laughs> driving home with a guy. We were both blasted out of this bar. I used to go to this bar in Houston only because on the, there were rules posted on the door. And it said, no guns, no knives, no biker colors. So I knew it'd be filled with armed bikers, right? <laughs> and that's where I drank all the time. It's called the, the pastime. Pastime lounge in Houston, Texas. Fast times at the pastime. This guy drove me home. He was drunk out of his mind. He only had one eye. <laughs> We're driving 90 through construction zones with all those cones coming by. And I go, dude, are you going to hit one of those cones? He goes, no, I'm not, I'm not affected at all. I only got one eye. <laughs> Doesn't distract me. I can go right down the middle. We cannot, after a time, differentiate the true from the false. I think I'm in love. I think they're my friends. I think I've got it under control. I think I drink when I want to. I think I can stop anytime I want to. I think that all the problems in my life are due to hanging out with the wrong people, making bad decisions, or just a general being dealt a bad hand. All of that is a shadow of a false thing. None of it exists. In fact, I'm going to go so far as to say what you're seeing at this very moment doesn't really exist. 
You know, if you do take this Buddhist philosophy all the way down to its core, you're going to find emptiness, nothingness. And in that bleak nothingness, I hope through this program, and it has worked for me and countless others, you find a light. And that single light is God. And William James You can download varieties of religious experience for free. Read it. It has 4,000 different ones, not just the one in the appendix of the book. It is not just either bright light or educational. It says in in, in the 12 and 12, there are probably as many different spiritual awakenings as there are people who've had them. Read the book. It's awesome. To them, their alcoholic life seems the only normal one. You know, I talked to my 84-year-old mother about how nothing that she sees is real. And she loves me, but she just doesn't get it. I see the wall. It's real. No, Mom. It's only real because you believe it's a wall. They are restless, irritable, and discontented. Pick me. Like, I mentioned this at, at New Year's Eve. I had a girlfriend once. I ran out of pot, right? Right? And this girlfriend, we had to find it, and we couldn't find it. And it was one of those, I don't know if you remember these words, it was dry. <laughs> right? It was just, it was the, the pot world was just dry for a while, right? Everybody, I was calling, I was great. Finally, we got some pot. I smoked a, a joint, and she said to me, she said, Doc, and we'd been together a while. She said, I had no idea. I am so sorry. I will never let you run out of pot again. Go, why? You are a monster when you're not sedated. Am I? Yeah. Because I'm restless, irritable, and discontented with everything. You know, I saw a guy today walking down the street screaming, mentally ill guy, because I live on the beach, right? I don't live on the beach. I live in a condo on the beach. I used to live on the beach. And he's walking down the street and he's screaming. He's got a cup and he's screaming at nobody. And he's going like, get out of the way. Get out of the way. And I, and I started thinking, I have, I can't remember a time where I've, I've known a lot of people with mental illness. It's just, I'm the guy who'll talk to him, right? But I've never met people with true mental illness issues that their illness causes them to be loving and kind, and tolerant, and attentive, and giving, and selfless. And it caused me to think, you know, those are fruits from a tree, right? And that's how you tell what the tree is. You got compassion, and love, and things that come off that tree. That comes out of us. The screaming... The throwing three-year-old temper tantrums, all that stuff, that's from a bad tree. That's not who we are, right? We, the, book, the book addresses all of that stuff, from mental illness to psychic illness. Discontented, unless they can again experience the sense of ease and comfort, which comes at once, oh yeah, by taking a few drinks. Drinks which they see others taking with impunity. He's had three. I've had one. But I'm already drunk. 
After they have succumbed to the desire again. That was the only desire I had, by the way, was to please me. As so many do, and the phenomenon of craving develops, which is our physical part of our disease, they pass through the well-known stages of a spree. Lovely word. Should be a Glade air freshener scent. Springtime spree. It's lovely, dancing through the flowers, a girl with a dress, and it's a spree. We called it, in my day, we called it a binge, right? The well-known stages of a binge, pee, poop, vomit, sweat, blood, etc., tears, all bodily fluids. It was awful. It was awful, Remember? It was horrible. Once the craving starts, I have to feed the monster. And it is never fed enough. There is never enough. We pass through the well-known stages of a spree, emerging remorseful with a firm resolution never to ever do that again. To never drink again. This is repeated over and over and over and over And unless this person can experience an entire psychic change, psychic, from the Greek word psyche, meaning soul, where your mind is, where your personality is, where your experiences are, where everything you are exists, it's where your sentience is, in your psyche. Greek soma for body is around the psyche, inside the psyche, Greek is uh, pneuma, meaning spirit. Our problem is in our soul. There's very little hope for his recovery unless an entire psychic change. On the other hand, and strange as this may seem to those who do not understand, once a psychic change has occurred, very same person who seemed doomed, not only by doctors, but by himself, doomed, who had so many problems he despaired of ever uh, solving them, suddenly... Almost instantly sometimes. For me, it was instantly. Finds himself easily able to control his desire for alcohol. Our desire changes. Eventually, it becomes a desire to seek and do God's will. The only effort necessary being that required to follow a few simple rules. I cannot change my psyche. I cannot do something to my soma, the body. I cannot do something on the outside and affect me on the inside. I cannot change my psychic problem with these, or these, or you, or that, or this book, or any of that. All these are tools, spiritual tools. I love when people, I I heard it all on Christmas Eve. I went to, did a lot of uh, meeting jumping. And I heard a lot of people talk of the toolkit of spiritual tools. That's what it says. It doesn't say a spiritual toolkit. There's no such thing as a spiritual toolkit. Just just reminding you. The magic box. It is a toolkit of spiritual tools. And these are the tools. And they make me ready to receive this amazing blessing of grace. That God gets me sober. And that's the only thing we have to offer here. 
is to be still and know that God will change your entire life from the inside out, from the psyche out to your body. As it says in the ninth step, as we go out from here, God comes through there, out to my body. You see the light. I start to spread it. Pretty soon, all of this that I think is real changes completely. I'm a firm believer that my attitude and the way I perceive my life creates the life that I actually live. I will see you next week. And my name is Doc Alcoholic. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Okay, let's all thank Doc again for that. And now we're going to have Ryan with our secretary's report. Hey, hey, I'm Ryan. I'm your recovered alcoholic secretary. Hey. Um, in keeping with the seventh tradition, which states that every group shall be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions, the baskets are now going around. And I've asked Juliet to read the recovered statement. We read this notice to explain why many people in this group identify as recovered rather than recovering and what it exactly means to be a recovered alcoholic. So let's bring up Juliet. Hey, Juliet. Recovered. We are not cured of alcoholism. Recovered but not cured? That presents a conflict to some alcoholics. If we were cured, we would be able to drink responsibly. No, we are not cured. The allergic reaction to alcohol will remain with us for for our lifetime. But we have been restored to sanity. That was the problem. The main problem of alcoholic centers in his mind rather than the body. We are now saying where alcohol is concerned, consequently, we have recovered. Uh, 1940s style big book sponsorship from the forward of the second edition of Alcoholics Anonymous. Of alcoholics who came to AA and really tried, 50% got sober at once and remained that way. 25% sobered up after some relapses, and among the remainder, those who stayed on with AA showed improvement. What we've seen felt come to believe and experience is that God has not changed over time and neither should the sacred approach back into his loving arms. The statistics above suggest a 75% success rate. Uh, Can I see a show of hands of recovered alcoholics? Awesome. Um, Is there anybody in the room that needs a sponsor? If you could raise your hand. Awesome. Can you stand up real quick? Uh, So if any of the ladies want to see them after the meeting, we can help get you back to God. Uh, So just see any one of those people that just had their hand raised. Um, please join us Monday nights for our big book study meeting where the book comes alive Uh, fellowship starts at 6.30 and then the big book study starts at 7.15 we have CDs, mugs large print big books, little red books and big book dictionaries for sale on the table in the back Um, so if you're interested in any of that we also uh, do accept like uh, credit cards if you wanted to buy stuff that way Um, and we also take uh, contributions that way as well um And we meet every Thursday starting promptly at 7.15. And we ask that you be courteous and ready to begin at the sound of the bells. Uh, We have some announcements up here. Uh, It's just some information for Broward County Intergroup. Uh, You've got the office hours up there um, and how to get in touch with them. So if you're looking for any medallions or literature, uh, that's all you need to know up there. Um, Volunteer opportunities, check back soon. 
Um, there's always volunteer opportunities, though. So, um, Broward County Institutions Committee. Um, they have monthly meetings. The next one's coming up on January 11th. Are there any BCIC representatives out there today? No? All right. Um, well, January 11th, if you're interested in that. Um, and then that's us. Um, also, uh, we have one last announcement. I don't know about you guys, but I made it my New Year's resolution to only smoke by the designated smoking area. So if you just want to make your way down to the buckets down at the end there, um, you can join me in that cause. Um, all right, so that's all I've got. I'll see you next week. So we have tonight's session and all of the past speakers' podcasts online for free at alcoholicsandgod.org. I'd like to invite everyone to our Monday night big book study. And those who wish to thank the speaker, please line up down the center aisle. And now let's close with the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, See you all Monday or next Thursday. Heart is heavy, soul is thirsty, body's aching.
Chase, here's that song you've been asking me for for a million years. I finally pulled it out the pulled it out the corners of my mind, and um, here you go. Time in my life 
are green now, growing vines. They twist and turn each way, flowers blooming all the time right outside my door. I had to change everything to realize that today is the best day of my life. Cause this broken man I traveled far and wide through the great divide through his own heart, yeah. Just about to stop. So I face each day in a brand new way. Show up and plug in my guitar. And I play my songs. And people sing along. And stomp their feet and raise their arms. And here in this moment that we share. Nothing could come The fog is lifted, see the light Count my blessings when I go to sleep at night And I dream now Yeah, I dream now And everything's alright <laughs> Oh man Going on 10 years old, that song is. God bless. I love you, Mike Chase. Bye. I think you know this one, don't you?
Got one man that just won't save me. 